I'd like to invite Emily up to do tonight's reading. So tonight's reading is from Malachi. We're continuing our series in that book. And as I said, Josh is going to come and uh, explain God's word to us in just a minute. Uh, But for the time being, uh, Emily's going to read from Malachi 2, 1 to 9. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honour me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from the festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprighteousness and turned many from him and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned away from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Thank you, Emily. So as Josh comes up, let me just pray for him and for us. Lord God, we thank you for Josh. We thank you for the time and effort that he has put in uh, to seeking after you and receiving from you in order to share with us this evening. We just pray that you would speak powerfully through him this evening. And for us, would you help us to have supple hearts to receive what you have to say to us? And would we have the courage to put it into action? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Chris, and good evening, everyone. It's nice to be here again in person and to see so many faces in front of me and to you at home as well on Zoom. Welcome. As I've been preparing for tonight, I've I've really struggled in a way to know how to pitch the talk tonight. See, I I wrote a a whole big talk out, and then as I was going through it again and again, I I saw all your faces, actually, all in this room tonight, all the, the young people and those in their 20s who who I can see right now in front of me. And I've been thinking, what does this passage have to say to you here tonight? You know, you're just starting out your adventure in life, as it were. Maybe some of you have just sort of turned adults and trying to work your way out into this big, wide world of adulthood. But what does this passage have to say to you and to young people too here just coming into that? And then I remembered some, some church stats that I heard, heard recently. And they were quite sobering stats that have come out from this lockdown period we've been in. And that is that apparently about a third of people who used to go to a church service before lockdown 
no longer do so, whether that's online or in, or in person. And another 15% or so, apparently, have either moved to another church or have been watching other groups online and are sort of jumping from, from church to church. And many of these people are people like yourselves, you know, young people, those at university, students. And they are worrying numbers in one sense. But in another way, well, this may actually be the Lord's doing, his refining process in a sense, even judgment on the church. See, Zoom and, and YouTube, they've made it much easier for us to be able to, to meet and do church services online. But when you've been watching services online, whether it's this or other ones, have you ever thought about what goes on in that church that you are joining or listening to? Now, how, how ought we to judge the faithfulness of those who are speaking online? Well, how do you assess the church leadership or the sort of structures and the messages that they have in place in that church? How do you do that when all you see is a screen and there's someone on the other side of that? How do we discern good spiritual leadership? within a church? How do we observe their leaders, their speakers, and the messages that they are living out, not just on a stage, but in their lives, and their homes, and their relationships? How do we do that if we're not meeting physically with one another? If we don't know them, or they don't even know you or me? Now, these are some hard questions, and I've been wrestling with them myself. I often will listen to other talks from other churches, but I've seen that God he has a lot to say about the leadership within any church. In particular, with those who speak his word, who are, who are teachers within those churches. And, and he has incredibly high standards for those who bring his word. Because it is one of the most serious things that anyone can do within a church, within any setting, to be able to speak and explain the word of God to someone else. And so the character and the heart and, and the fruit of your life, of anyone's life, especially of those who are, who are leaders and speakers within a church, it is essential that they are right and good. And so our passage tonight that we've just read, it opens up with, with these words. It says, now to you priests, this is a warning for you. Priests. Now, last time I looked around Oak Hall, we don't call anyone a priest here among us. In fact, I don't know of many churches at all who, who would call their leaders a priest. But the New Testament teaches us that there is only one priest now, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is he, the great high priest, who, who mediates between us and God. And it was his, once for all, his perfect sacrifice, his body and his blood poured out for us, that has made us right with God. That, that thing that we've just remembered together, the Lord's table. That is what means there is only one great high priest now. And so we don't have priests within the church, in the Old Testament sense, at least. So what does this passage have to say to, to us tonight? Well, an Old Testament priest, they didn't only just sacrifice lambs and, and goats and animals, but they also, look at verse 7 in your passage, they also spoke. They were the messengers of God. It says the lips of a priest, they ought to preserve knowledge. Because he is a messenger of the Lord Almighty. And people speak and seek instruction from his mouth. And I think it's this, this priestly role of speaking God's word, which God, I reckon, is speaking to us today. And so the character of those who teach and the leaders within a church, the messages they bring, 
it is absolutely essential that that is right within any given church. And what are we going to be like? Well, we are a people who are seeking instruction from such teachers, it says. So we, we want to be fed, don't we? But how do we judge what is good food, what is, what is bad food, and those who are giving it, feeding us? What's the character of the one who is feeding us like? Well, our passage tonight, I see in there five characteristics of bad priests. And also five good characteristics, and we'll look at those at the end. As we're going to work through these two lists just quite quickly, hopefully seeing and help, hopefully inspiring us too to pray for these sort of people in our own churches, in this church here, whether that's in our small groups, whether it's in our homes with our parents who teach us, maybe the elders and teachers within the church, but also for, our, for ourselves, that we would all long to have these characteristics in our lives, not the bad characteristics, but these good traits that we will see shortly. Because Scripture says that actually we are all now a royal priesthood. We are all in God's family, one another, and we are all able to teach and speak to each other. And so firstly, five characteristics then of bad priests, bad teaching. So verse 2, it starts, a bad priest does not listen. They do not listen. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and they're sort of smiling and nodding at you as you're talking to them, but you can tell that they're not interested in what you're saying. They're sort of looking off into the distance, completely unaware of actually the content of what you're saying. I'm afraid I've done that a few times with people. I'm sorry I've done that with you. But our passage here says that these priests, they do not listen. And, and I think the context of what they're saying is that they're not just listening to, to you, to one another within the church, but also that they're not listening even to God. These priests do not listen to what they're saying. They're not spending time on their knees in communion with God, listening to his voice. What is he saying to the church today? What does his word say to us right now? And there may be all sorts of reasons why they might not do that. Maybe they've been a Christian for a, for a long time. There are many years of service within the church. Think, well, I don't really need to wait on God. I know the answers to most things. They've been around the block, but, but God warns them. He says, you don't listen. You are arrogant. You are self-sufficient. You've forgotten that I, God, am all you will ever need. I am wisdom. I'm the giver of life itself. You must spend time listening to me and my word. And so firstly, we need this character in every leader and every teacher and every position within our church. They must be listening to God. Secondly, the thing I see here, the Lord Almighty says that these priests, they do not honor my name. Now, when the Lord's name is honored, there is nothing more important in your life than, than his glory, his honor. Every decision, every word, every action, everything you do is in submission to our honorable, our glorious king. But these leaders in our passage, they have put their own honor above God's. And, and, and it might have been in very subtle ways, you know, maybe just in their diligence at work. We saw last week, do you remember the passage? They, the people were not bringing the best offerings to God. They were allowing a sort of half-hearted worship. There's no honor in that, is there? They just try to get away with the bare minimum. Do you ever do that in our own lives? Just do just the smallest amount that's necessary to get a pass. But if God is not central, if he's not the one that you seek his honor first in your life, well then we're going to cut corners. We're going to make concessions 
more easily in every part of life. And we'll think, well, God's not bothered about this or that. These little habits of mine, these white lies, perhaps, those more respectable sins. And that can lead to the third issue down the line in verse 8. That these priests, they have turned from the way. Jesus said, do you remember, that the gate is small that leads to life. And the road, it's narrow. And only a few find it. Compared to the broad roads of the world, the way of a Christian can be a hard journey. It reminds me of that story, The Great Pilgrim's Progress. There's a character in there called Pliable. Do you remember that? And Christian, the main character, he gets to the narrow gate at the start of the story. And he says, and Goodwill, who's on the screen here, he, he asks him, he says, why did Pliable not come all the way here with you to the gate? And Christian explained, he said, indeed, he did come with me until we got to the swamp of despond into which we suddenly fell. At that, Pliable became so discouraged that he wouldn't venture with me any further. Being thus disheartened, he got out of the swamp on the side nearest to his house. And he told me that I could possess the heavenly country alone. So he went his way, following after obstinate, and I continued traveling the narrow gate. And then Goodwill said, Alas, poor Pliable, is celestial glory of so small a value to him that he doesn't count it worth running the hazard of a few difficulties to obtain it? Look ahead of you. Do, you. do you see the narrow way? That's the way you must go. It was built by the patriarchs, the apostles, the prophets, and Christ, and it is as straight as can be. This is the only way you must go. But, inquired Christian, are there no turnings or windings by which a pilgrim may lose his way? Yes, he says. There are many side roads. There are intersections with the pilgrim way, but they are crooked and wide. This is how you may distinguish the right from the wrong. Only the right path is narrow and straight. It's a fantastic story. Read it again if you haven't read it for a while. But we live in an age today as evidently Bunyan did who wrote it, where there are many distractions that will keep us from that narrow way. Whether it's about who Jesus is or his authority or the authority of Scripture itself, there are all these distractions within the church over morality, over ethics, and what the Lord says is right and wrong. Or, or maybe it's just the pleasures and the distractions of the world around us. When a church leader, when they deviate off that narrow way, and they turn from Christian orthodoxy, well, they fall into the fourth danger, which in verse 8 says that by their teaching, they have caused many to stumble. And this is perhaps one of the greatest sins possible. You see, Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 6, that if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better to have a large millstone tied around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. You see, it's one thing to lose your own way, but to take others down with you, even unintentionally, well, Jesus is very clear about the consequences of that. Which is why we also see in James chapter 3, he says, not many of you should become teachers. 
because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's sobering words. So lastly, of these five traits we see in bad priests, you have not followed my ways because also you have, not shown, you have shown partiality in matters of the law. It says that in verse 9. See, there's a danger when we show partiality. That is, we pick and choose what we like. We choose the bits of scripture that, that I quite like that bit, but I don't like that bit over there. We choose what, what is easy to follow and, and ignore those bits that are hard. And we can't do that. We can't just take the more palatable bits of Scripture and, and ignore the, uh, the less culturally appropriate words about divorce or about greed or sexuality or, or about the way to heaven only being through Christ. We must, not be impar- we must not be partial. We must not be biased in how we apply God's Word. And so these five characteristics here complete this picture of of a failed spiritual leadership that Malachi was speaking into in Israel's day and sadly still is very relevant for us today too. And our passage is crystal clear as to what will happen to such people who persist in this character. So back in verse 2 of our passage, God says, I will send a curse on you. I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Now, these words ought to to humble us and and strike a a right fear of God in our hearts because it is vitally important that those who have the opportunity to teach others to know what sort of high standards the Lord calls us to, to please pray for all those with leadership and teaching authority within the church. And then we have this extraordinary picture in verse 3. And it reminds me of a story, actually, from, from New Zealand when I was growing up. And where I grew up at, at, at New Year's time, my family would all get together with my cousins, and being the summer holidays, what we would normally do is we would roast a lamb over a spit for, for New Year, a whole lamb. And, uh, but firstly, what we had to do was to, to kill a lamb and to, to skin and gut it before we could eat it. Sort of the joys of growing up in rural New Zealand. And what we would do, my uncle Ian, he was normally the one who did the work. And once the, the lamb was killed and it was hanging up on, on, a, on a hook, we then had to skin the lamb. And we all got, always gathered around and got to try help out if we could. And I will never forget one time we were skinning this lamb. But as you're pulling the, the sheepskin down over the body... It got caught right at the very end, just sort of around the hips of the, of the lamb, and wouldn't come off. And so my cousin, all very proud and, and um, trying to be very helpful, come along with his little, little knife to try to help Uncle Ian to get this last little bit of skin off. But what he did is he pushed a little bit too hard with his knife into the bottom of the lamb and into its guts, and the intestines came out with all the lamb and all the lamb's skin as it came down. And, and my poor cousin was left with these stinking entrails of this lamb all over his body and his face. And we all found it quite funny, I'm afraid, but he did not. And he spent most of the rest of the day in the sea trying to wash the smell of the stinking offal of this lamb off his body. Now, it's quite a funny little story, but I reminded me of it because in our passage tonight, this same picture is what God is going to do to those priests who do not honor him. It says there in in verse 3, that he will, God himself, will wipe the dung over their faces. 
their spiritual leadership has failed so badly that this is what God will do to them. And this is an act of utter shame and of, of complete judgment. See, that, that dung and all the offal from the waste from, the, from the, the sacrifices, it should be taken out of the city and burnt or disposed of. But it says here that these priests themselves will be taken out with that dung, and they too will be cast aside just as if it was waste, flushed away. It's an utter humiliation. Verse 9 says that they will be despised. They will be humiliated before all the people because they have committed these five things that we've just seen on the screen. These are serious warnings that God has for those who are presumed to teach others, for those with any sort of leadership. And that is many of us. It's not just those who are elders who may speak on the stage here, but whether within our small groups, those who help out at Sunday school and in youth groups, even in our homes with our children, even speaking to a friend and teaching them God's word. There are real consequences for when we do not treat God's word and honor his name rightly, and when our lives don't match up with what he calls us to. So let's just think about that just for a moment and let these words sink in to our hearts. This passage, it's not all negative, though. There are real warnings here. But I want to finish with five positive pictures, five positive characteristics that we can look for within our spiritual leadership. It describes what a good priest ought to look like. And it inspires all of us, I hope, to lift our own eyes and, and to, to, to look for a better way of living than perhaps we are in right now. And so there are five traits, and I'm going to race through them quite quickly. They're all modeled on Levi, who is the ideal priest in our passage. And so at the end of verse 5, you can see that Levi, it says, revered me as God. He revered him and stood in awe of his name. So what's your heart like tonight? And what's the right response to the grace of God to us? Well, it must be reverence. It must be awe. We, you know, we, we see all around us great things that we can admire. You know, you might see a great snooker player or a great golfer do some incredible shots. You might, you know, see a, a hip-hop artist be able to put these rhymes out incredibly or some artist painting a picture. We see each other and, wow, that's incredible. We think that's amazing. But... Do we have that same awe and response for our God? Do we stand in awe of who he is and the things that he has done? Not just of the world around us, this creation and, and the mysteries of science and the wonders of the miracles you read in scripture, but do you ever just stand in awe at who God is and just think of his name and what he is like, our great and glorious king? See, this is the right attitude that, that a good priest ought to have, where we revere and we stand in awe at our maker and our savior and our king and our friend. He's an incredible God. Do you revere him in your heart? And from there, the second trait we see in verse 6 is that we see true instruction is in his mouth. He speaks what is true. Only what is right, nothing false, was on his lips. So when we see God and who he is, we will be committed, I hope, to speaking only then what is right and true about him. See, every one of us in this royal priesthood, 
we will have opportunity to speak for the Lord Jesus in some area. And that's been our vision verse, hasn't it, this year as a church? That we might not be people who just can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. So when we have opportunity to do that, we're going to speak the truth about our God and how incredible he is. His truth, though, may not always be popular to those around us, but we must be, must, must be faithful messengers. And as we speak the truth of who Jesus is to our friends, we will do so with, with gentleness and respect, and we'll do that humbly. But we must speak, and we must speak the truth. Thirdly, a good priest. He walks with God in peace and uprightness. And this is to do with our character. So to, to do with how we are living. So do our lives, do they match the words that we say? Now I say I'm a Christian. Do my, does my life match my words? As a priesthood of believers, we are called to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And we are to walk with God on that narrow way. Walking with him in peace and, and uprightness, delighting in, in doing good. And fighting sin and temptation in our life. And the great thing is that we don't walk alone. So the fourth character I see here is that we can turn others from sin as well. You see, we help others along the way. The Old Testament priest, like preachers and evangelists today, well, we're called to speak truth into one another's lives. We walk with others on this journey. That's why we're here tonight as, you know, as youth group, as, as 20s group. In our small groups, that's why we meet. So we can speak to one another and turn one another from sin. And so we let God's word, we let it, let it humbly change each one of us. When we see our brother or sister slipping, and we come alongside them, we walk with them and we, we show them God's word. And we do this so carefully, we pray for wisdom. We pray for the right timing, for sensitivity. And with a real awareness that we too are sinners, Saved by grace. But we walk with them. So when did you last invite someone or give someone permission to be able to speak God's truth into your life? Have you ever said that to anybody? Say to a friend, hey, anytime you feel you need to say to me about some sin in my life or to challenge me on some behavior, please do so. Maybe give someone permission to do that in your life. Because this is what good priests do. It's what it means to walk together. Finally, the fifth point for good priests. Look at verse 7. It says the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is a messenger of the Lord Almighty. See, our culture that we live in right now, I think we're in quite a battle. In the West here in, in particular, I think there are real powerful forces at work that are trying to undo knowledge, that are trying to, to redefine right and wrong. They're trying to even rewrite history and destroy the, the Christian foundations that have, that have made this country we live in great. Godly values. And as people today, we, we ought to be aware of these dangers. We ought to know our scriptures and, and to understand the times that we live in. We ought to preserve knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, as the only hope for our broken world. 
And we ought to defend the Christian values that, that have shaped and, and made and brought such blessing to our society today. So there are five things that I hope we can look for and work in our own lives for, for good spiritual leaders among us. Pray for one another that we would see these in each of us more and more, especially for our leaders and, and teachers. We've seen the seriousness tonight of not fulfilling our God-given roles, as we ought to as his messengers. It is very serious, and God takes his word and his character so seriously, and so ought we. And so the tone of our passage, as we read it through, it is one of warning. But I do hope that we can see these positive pictures here too, this, this model of Levi and the, the great priest that he was, and there's characteristics that we can have in our own lives. And I pray that we also would be people who stand in awe of who God is. We revere him in our lives, that we would be truthful messengers, that we would walk with God in, in peace and in right, rightness, that we would turn many from sin, and that we would also preserve knowledge, the knowledge of God in our culture. So this is our story tonight, our, our big picture for each of us. And this whole passage, it's set in the context of a covenant. That word comes up in verses 4 and 5 and in verse 8 about a covenant. That is a promise that God makes with his people. But we today are not under that old covenant. We are under a new covenant relationship. One that is made in Christ's blood that we started our service remembering. And you see, the joy of this new covenant is that God is the one who acts. It is God's initiative to fulfill his promise, not just to call us to himself, but to enable us to walk with him, to carry on doing these things that we've just been looking at in our passage. And it says that he will write his word on our hearts, and he will fill us with his spirit so that we might be a royal priesthood that we would be set apart to live and to speak for the Lord Jesus. Because he too was tempted, it says, in every way, just as we are. And yet he did not sin. And he is faithful because he is our great high priest. And so that's the hope that we have. These may be big, ambitious things to work towards in our own lives. And yet we have a God who has done it for us and will help us to carry on walking in his steps. And Hebrews says that he will give us the mercy and grace that we need in our own lives. So as we pray for one another, here are five traits that we would love to see more in each one of our lives, particularly those who lead and teach among us. And while the pressures and the, and the restrictions of, of COVID continue, we need more than ever to be connecting with, with others, with others who will speak into our lives, who know you, who know what you're going through, where we can love each other, where we can share God's word with each other, not just in a service online, but in real life, walking side by side as a holy priesthood of the Lord Almighty. So this is God's word to us tonight. And I hope that you've been encouraged to work, work these things out in your own lives. Let, let, me, let me pray for us now as we then move into to a time of question and answer. Let's pray. Almighty God, your word is, is so powerful. 
because it, it reveals our hearts to us. It, it shows us what we are like, and we are, we are sinners in need of a saviour. But we are people who, who do not meet the perfect standard that you require of us. But Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus to be our great high priest, to be the one who has walked before us, who has offered his own life in order to make us right with you. And our Lord, as we, we commit our lives to following and walking with you, we pray that as you give us opportunity to, to be a royal priesthood within your kingdom, that we would live these things out in our own lives, that those who speak and teach among us would, would have lives that match up with what they say, and that each of us would find opportunities to, to live and speak for you more and more, and that we would do that without shame or fear, but we would do it knowing that you are with us. You are our great God who, who gives us your very spirit to equip us with all that we need. So Father, thank you for who you are. We stand in awe of you. You are an incredible God, a mighty and powerful God. But you're a God of love, a God of compassion, a God who is slow to anger. And we worship you, Lord, and may our lives, every one of us, reflect your character, your glory to the world around us. And so we worship you and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.